Hello, and welcome back to the CF Armed Forces podcast with me, your host, James Clark. On this month's episode, we speak to the Right Honourable Mark Francois, MP for Rayleigh and Wickford. Mark has been in the Commons since 2001 and served as a Minister in the Ministry of Defence and as Minister of State for the Armed Forces. He's also heavily involved in the European Research Group, or ERG, and has recently published a book on Britain's exit from the European Union called Spartan Warriors, available on Amazon now. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today on the latest episode of the CF Armed Forces podcast. Um, I'm going to punch straight into the questions. Since CF Armed Forces has, you know, since the idea was kind of gestating, you've been a, a huge supporter, came to our launch and have come to numerous other events. And we're really grateful and we're kind of delighted to welcome you on um, for your first time on our, our podcast. Um, in your own words, could you describe for our listeners a bit about your personal experience in the military, your military connections and how you feel the forces have shaped your life okay well firstly I'd just like to commend the work that you and your colleagues do in the conservative friends of the armed forces I think you know it's great that we have a group who are dedicated to promoting the interests of the armed forces within the conservative party and more power your elbow really Uh, now uh, in terms of my background it works on several levels Uh, my father Reginald Francois who unfortunately died when I was 14 served in World War II. So he was a naval veteran. He was actually on a minesweeper called HMS Bressay on D-Day. I'm, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, and one of the things he drummed into me before he died was that, you know, son, you should never take living in a free country for granted. And I've never forgotten that. So uh, I joined um, the Officer Training Corps at Bristol University and... Uh, uh, then went to London OTC when I went there to do my Masters in War Studies under Lawrence Friedman. And then uh, when I graduated, went back to Essex and joined what was then Fire Royal Anglian, which was a NATO-rolled battalion. Remember, this is, during, this is at the tail end of the Cold War, the Berlin War still up, you know, we're in the late 80s. And uh, our war role was we had what was called a reserve demolition at a place called Rintel over the Liner River. So basically, we would have had to defend that bridge against Soviet paratroops. Uh, mercifully, the Berlin Wall came down. Margaret Thatcher and Ronnie Reagan won the Cold War, and we never had to do it for real. Uh, but that's what we trained for. And uh, since I came into Parliament, eventually I, I was lucky to become a minister in the Ministry of Defence. So I was the Veterans Minister, um, and then after that, uh, for nearly two years, I was the Armed Forces Minister, Minaeth. And so I served for nearly three years as a minister in the what is still to me, although sometimes the bureaucracy used to drive me mad, the best department of government. And um, and now I I serve on the House of Commons Defence Committee and also, uh, more recently now, also on the Public Accounts Committee. So, uh, uh, you know, whereas the the HCDC, the Defence Committee, you know, looks at all aspects of the department's uh, activities, the PAC looks at the expenditure of public money. So I've done a lot of work on that committee, for instance, about cost overruns and procurement, and uh, a light tank called Ajax that doesn't work properly. Yeah, the, the less said about Ajax, the better, perhaps, on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, well, conservative friends of the armed forces, well, I'm not sure general dynamics for a friend of the armed forces, but let, let's leave <laughs> let's it at leave that. that. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, you've obviously had a, a, a quite an impressive career in the Ministry of Defence, and three years, I think that was 2013 to 2016, wasn't it? Uh, it was 12 to 15. It was 12 to 15, yeah. 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 Um, I, can you go into some detail about some of the 
projects that you worked on or, or the things that you kind of specialised in when you were in that role? Well, obviously, when I was the Veterans Minister, we were dealing with, you know, with veterans it's issues. So you do a lot, a, lot, a lot of work with, you know, military charities, everything from Help for Heroes, who were kind of in their heyday then, mm. uh, and the Royal British Legion, right down to some small individual charities that have often been formed by, you know, say, bereaved parents yeah. who've lost someone on, uh, on operations. Yeah. Uh, I lost a constituent called uh, Aaron Lewis, who was a commando gunner, 29 commando. And uh, his parents, uh, Barry and Helen Lewis, were brilliant people, founded something called the Aaron Lewis Foundation, mm. which has raised money uh, for military veterans. I think they've raised over half a million pounds wow, since their inception. So they've done, they've done great work. So you know, you, there was that whole side of it. And uh, when I became uh, Minister of State for the Armed Forces, or MINAF in the, in, in the, in the nomenclature, um, you were responsible for operations. So I oversaw the, the last months of the drawdown from Afghanistan. And I also, for instance, got involved in Operation Grip Rock, which was the mission to provide support for the people of Sierra Leone against the Ebola virus, wow. where the armed forces did just an amazing job. I remember going out there to visit them, and I was interviewed. Uh, we basically built a, a, a field hospital outside of Freetown to treat Ebola patients. And I remember being interviewed live on Sky by Kay Burley. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't stop saying how proud I was of, of, of the uh, personnel that I'd seen because I absolutely meant it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I spoke to one young girl, she was a Lance Corporal, RAMC, you know, a nurse. She'd been in, she'd just come off doing a, a shift in uh, what they call the hot tent. So that's where they had live Ebola patients. Right. And you could only do a maximum of about 90 minutes to two hours because you were in PPE and it was sweltering anyway. Uh, and otherwise, afterwards, you just sort of started drowning in sweat. Mm. And you know, there she was, you know, just relaxing post-shift, having a, you know, um, having a can of Coke. And I just, I just thought, you know, Miss, you've got more guts in your little finger than I'll ever possess. So, so just incredibly impressed by what we did. And we helped the Sierra Leoneans defeat the disease and we never lost anybody. It's absolutely amazing. I, my follow-up question was going to be, what were some of the highlights? But I mean, that is just an extraordinary well, emotional well, and, and professional experience. It, it was two med brigade that were at the heart of it. Obviously, there were lots of supporting mm. uh, facilitators and other units, but and, and two two medical regiments. So mm. I nicknamed them the other two two, <laughs> and uh, they quite liked that. I think they even had some T-shirts printed in the end, you know, with the other. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they did just they did just the most you know phenomenal job. So. And that, in a sense, demonstrates the versatility of the Ministry of Defence. Mm. You know, uh, you know. Also, when I was many, I got very involved in the uh, in the sort of work uh, to help rescue people during the flooding in the West Country. Yep, you remember course, when yeah. the Somerset levels were flooded. Yep. And and you know, this is the thing about the MOD. We, you know, we are the department of. See, I still say we. You know, we are the department of last resort. Yeah. And one of the things that you know used to strike me about it was such a privilege to be an MOD minister. Because, you know, you could do all of these different things, mm. but you try getting them to change a form. <laughs> so, so, so um, whilst the bureaucracy used to drive me mad, you know, the the, the privilege of, of working with personnel in the armed forces, both regular and reserve, and veterans, was just an immense privilege.
and and that kind of um, you know that sort of reputation that the MOD has in some ways I, f I feel like maybe that was mirrored when um, you know Boris Johnson came in and pledged I think it was 14 billion um, to defence spending for, mm -hmm. for Ben Wallace as Secretary of State yeah. and that that really kind of was was sort of it, it seems like that was the baseline with which to build on for the ISR, wrong, ISDR and the, the Defence Command paper. I mean, how do you think those two um, sort of policy papers, that kind of grand strategy, how do you think that's going to shape um, the sort of development of the UK Armed Forces over the next few years? Well, you know, part of the point about the integrated review, as, as it's often referred to in the shorthand, was to try and integrate defence policy with foreign policy, you know, development policy, you know, to look at these things in the round and to create a coherent whole mm. and to try and help overcome some of what you, you know, is often referred to as the, the stove piping between individual departments, you know, so, so you know, um, so that, you know, the, the sum of the whole, if, like, if, you, if you like, becomes greater than just the individual parts. Mm. And that obviously required greater resource and with that, you know, that extra four billion a year uh, for each of four years, there's the money. Mm. But the, as any conservative will tell you, it's not just about providing more money, it's about how efficiently you spend it. And I still think, partly based on my experience on you know, the Defence Committee and the PAC, we've got some real challenges in the procurement sphere. Mm. I still think we've got to spend that money better than we do. We've got to get, if you like, more bang for the buck. Um, but... Uh, overall, I think you know the integrated review provides us with an opportunity to to reshape our armed forces more effectively for the 21st century, and you know I'm convinced that Ben Wallace is the right defence secretary to do that. I've got I've got a great deal of time for Ben. We haven't always agreed on all aspects of procurement, um, but I think he's a really competent guy, and he's in the right place at the right time. And I think I think he did a great job, for instance, in. Uh, with regard to what pitting mm. and the you know that emergency evacuation from Afghanistan, uh, I, I think you know Ben did as well in those circumstances as I think any defence secretary possibly could have done. Mm. I mean, I, I was um, very fortunate to have a pass at the time and came in and actually watched the emergency debate on the withdrawal and, and listened to a few you know really quite impressive speeches. I, you know, I heard Johnny Mercer speak and also actually Dan Jarvis from the Labour yeah. benches. He, he, he spoke very eloquently um, and very passionately. Mm. How, how you know, do you think there was more we could have done? Do you, do you think, how do you think it went wrong? I, I know, I know well, it's a huge topic. But it, it, look, it, it primarily went wrong when, when the Americans decided to withdraw at relatively short notice and didn't adequately communicate that to allies. So everyone else was left having to play catch up. Mm. As I think we now know, Ben tried to assemble a coalition of the willing mm. among NATO European countries, at least to hold the ring temporarily. In the end, with the possible exception of Turkey, no one was willing. Mm. And so you then were faced you know, with the stark reality of having to get people out as quickly as possible. Mm. Um, and you know, the fact that we, we evacuated many thousands of people at very short notice was the Ministry of Defence at its best. And you know, in the end, a number of other nations ended up tailgating on the back of our evacuation programme. Mm. So uh, I think... You know, Ben saw it kind of in packs with a soldier's instincts. He kind of realised what was going to happen. Mm. He tried to prevent it. When he couldn't, he then you know tried to make the best of a pretty dire situation. Yeah. And I and I 
and I actually think he and the department did an amazing job of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm not saying there's nothing we could have done better, but you know, the Americans didn't deal us a great hand, did they? No. <laughs> yeah, I think we can all agree on that. And I mean, I hate to go from one difficult situation to another, but obviously at the moment, you know, there's this serious concern about um, Russian. Uh, military exercises on the border with Ukraine and the build-up of troops that's been happening over the last probably six months now. Yeah, I don't know whether you want to say a few words or whether you'd like to, you know, share your thoughts on on what's going on there and perhaps, you know, what that means for NATO. Well, look, it, it, it's really concerning. Okay, you know, the Ukraine is a NATO partnership nation, but it doesn't. It's not a full member of NATO. It doesn't have an Article Five guarantee. But you know, the Baltic states are and do, and. You know, if we were to be irresolute about the Ukraine and Russia was seen to have scored some kind of victory, then, you know, the Baltics could well be next. So uh, I think this is a very serious situation. Um, as I'm speaking to you today, there are, there are, there's, there's breaking news about some possibility of a diplomatic breakthrough. But we don't yet have any details about a whether or not that's just rumour and the Russians playing cat and mouse with us, which they're quite adroit at doing. And b if it is true, what actually what deal really has been done? What's gone on behind the scenes? Mm. And it might take a while for that to to reach the light of day. Mm. So in the meantime, I think you know we need to keep our we need to keep our guard up. We know empirically that uh, Russia invaded or annexed the Crimea in 2014. It effectively uh, attempted to annex two eastern provinces of Ukraine. And mm. let's not forget, they carried out a chemical attack on British soil in mm. Salisbury. I mean, mm. it was almost like something out of a kind of spy novel. Mm. So, you know, coming back to where I came in, we should never take living in a free country for granted. Yeah? And history shows again and again and again, when we forget that lesson, we, we suffer for it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a very hard lesson to learn the hard way, you know. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, our, you know, hopefully when this crisis is abated, NATO needs to take a long, hard look at itself mm. because we have not, as an alliance, spoken with one voice. Mm. We have spoken with multiple different voices, some confident, some less so. And the Russians, again, are past masters at making the most of that. So, you know, if we're going to maintain the integrity of NATO, going forward in the 21st century and NATO is still the cornerstone of our defence and must remain so then you know we, we've got to learn some some tough lessons from this yeah absolutely absolutely um to give you a bit of a break from the international uh, yeah. scene now and, and to kind of yeah yeah sort of to switch fire um how uh, how's how's it going how was was coronavirus awful and huge amount of casework and you stuck at home go mad or did you cope okay and well i think i think for for, for mps it was difficult for all of us mm. you know for instance basically we were virtually kicked out of this building so yeah. we had to we had to learn to do everything from home mm. and you had to learn to you know instead of getting all your staff around the table in the normal way you had to you know learn to kind of live on zoom yeah so and, and obviously the caseload just went off the scale mm. because lots of people you know were struggling on a whole range of different levels and you know needed help so it was it was very challenging mm. now i don't want to tempt fate but let's hope that we're through the worst let's hope that we're recovering parliament is beginning to return to some kind of normal um you know 
we don't yet know exactly what if you like the new normal is going to look like mm. you know simple example are people going to commute into the office five days a week maybe they will maybe some of them will do four days and they'll work from home on a Friday or mm. whatever you know maybe this has taught us some lessons about quality of life I think you know it's too early to tell mm. but certainly you know as a parliamentarian it's been a challenge both having to to use new working practices and also to have to try and deal with a you know with a with a much increased caseload and as you said you know we don't want to tempt fate but at the moment there's a there there are sort of perhaps green shoots of recovery um how are you going to try and use them what have you got on the horizon um both in the constituency and in parliament what's going to be keeping you busy well okay on, on a personal level you know we we had a tragedy last october when we lost my great friend you know my best mate in this place really sir david amos mm. he was a great loss um and you know it's been a challenge for all of us to to react to that you know to his staff it's been difficult for many of us mm. um and there was a there was a lovely concert in south end uh, just the other day called he built this city because as some of your listeners may know he'd been campaigning for years to have south end made a city mm. And he entered his dog Vivian for the Parliamentary Dog of the Year. And when they said, why should people vote for Vivian? He said, because oh, she wants Southend to become a city. I mean, this is, you know. So then, you know, they have made Southend a city. So I like to think that he kind of won in the end on that one. Yeah. Uh, now, looking forward, uh, um, uh, so I'm still working on, the, on, the, on these two committees. That's quite a lot of work. Mm. But, you know, the government still has to be held to account. And the PAC is the oldest committee, isn't it? I think in government. Yeah, uh, it, like yeah, yes, um, it, it was. It was created by William Gladstone in the nineteenth century to oversee the uh, uh, the expenditure of taxpayers' money. Let's never forget, as Margaret Thatcher once said, "There's no such thing as government money. There's only taxpayers' money," and she's <laughs> right. And the PAC is there to try and ensure that that money is spent as Parliament intended it to be spent, as Parliament voted it. Mm. And that's a great deal of work, uh, but I'm really enjoying it. And it also means kind of moving out of my old comfort zone. Yep. So it means looking at expenditure in other departments, not just the MOD. Yep. But then when we're looking at the MOD, I kind of get roped in as a bit of a ninja <laughs> on that. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, 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 which I enjoy, but maybe the permanent undersecretary doesn't. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's that side. And, and on a personal level, uh, um, during the lockdown, I wrote a book uh, called uh, Spartan Victory. Uh, which was, I'm also chairman of something called the European Research Group, so the sort of Brexiteer MPs in Parliament, yeah. and that was all about the sort of three and a half year battle in Parliament and in the media to honour the result of the referendum. And uh, it's available on Amazon. Excellent, there's a great plug there. And I mean, how, how busy is the ERG? Are you still active yeah, yeah, and yeah. lobbying? Yeah, uh, we are, and, and you know, uh, if, as we like to see it, we won the war, we don't want to lose the peace. So, so you know, we're still there, you know, trying to make sure that uh, Brexit uh, is as successful as we wanted it to be. Mm. So, for instance, we're lobbying the government to do something about the Northern Ireland Protocol. Yeah, uh, we feel quite strongly about that. We feel that there's unfinished business there. We feel that it's uh, undermining the support of one community in Northern Ireland, and we've got to do something about that if we're going to maintain the integrity of the Good Friday Agreement. So, uh, yeah, we're still plugging. Um, I don't want to throw you under the bus with the last question, but it's been a fairly tumultuous couple of weeks in Westminster. Mm -hmm. um, have you, have, have, what's your line? 
well, it's been a tumultuous couple of years. Both, yeah, that's you know, true. You know, that's whether, true. Whether you were, you know, here in Westminster, or you know, working on you know COVID stuff back in your study, mm. Mm. Um, things haven't really settled down yet from that. Mm. If you're talking about uh, number ten and all the rest of it, um, I never got invited to any of those parties. I'm, <laughs> I wasn't important enough. So, uh, um, but you know, we are now awaiting. You know, there is a there's a police inquiry underway. Um, and you know, hopefully they can get that done fairly promptly, and then you know, all members of Parliament you know want to read that report. So let's just hope that you know the Met can get on with it. The, the fact they just lost their commissioner, you know, probably doesn't help, does it? No. Um, but the sooner that uh, we we receive that report, the better, and then I think we can all you know we can all move on from there. But we can't put everything on hold in the meantime. You know, as parliamentarians, we've got a job to do. And you know we just need to you know we just need to get on with it. I mean, look, you know you're, you've you've been in the military, um, you know you'll understand you know the military imperative to, to get the job done. And there's still a great deal of work to be done, and we've we've got to get on with that. Mark, with parliamentarians like yourself uh, here doing the job, um, I feel very confident that, that the right things will be happening for this country, and we'll continue to go in the right direction, one way or another. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, we've spoken previously about um, Sir David, and, and again, you know, on behalf of all of the CF Armed Forces members, you know, we're, we're terribly sorry for your loss and for, for the loss of his family's loss. Um, but you know, we're we're looking forward to the future, and hopefully, it'll be good for both um, your constituents, um, the UK, and uh, our Armed Forces members. Well, it, that's very kind of you to say so, and um, you know, thank thank you very much indeed, and uh, it's very good of you to, to to have me on the podcast. I'm very grateful. Thanks so much. Right. Hopefully, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Buy the book. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this month's edition of the CF Armed Forces podcast. For more information on our organisation, please go to www.cfarmedforces.org. We hope you join us again next month.